Welcome to the Like Dragons Did They Fight podcast. You are so wonderful for being here, and you're so lucky because this episode features Adam. I'm so excited for you to meet Adam and to hear his story. I met him at one of our company's generals panels. I was so touched by several things that he said, and I just messaged him privately and said, Adam, could, would you like to do a podcast interview? Because I was so, I thought the things he says are so meaningful and I think you're going to really enjoy him. And so um, I think some of the hardest things in our lives can be made clear to us when we ha hear the experience of someone who has been in that place that we're at or in that place that we know of, but we are terrified of. Um, but we can see that they are victorious, that they have figured out the, the upside of the battle, that, that working hard and fighting hard and, and being determined in that effort actually brings so much satisfaction in their life. And I think we tend to shy away from doing those kinds of things because it's going to be really hard or it's just going to take too long or it, I've tried it before. It's not going to work. So um, really, thank you so much, Adam, for being here. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us now you're from California. Uh-huh. It's a fun place. Yeah. And I, tell me, I don't really, I'm not really familiar with California. So where you live. Uh, what's fun about where you live? Um, you know, honestly, not much. I kind of live like two and a half hours away from anything interesting. It's like the beach, Yosemite, like forests. Um, I live in a lot of orchards, but I mean, I am relatively close to a lot of interesting things. So that's good. Um, I love going to Yosemite a lot and climbing there and hiking. That's awesome. Yeah, one of my, one of my dear friends um, lives right there, like just off her back porch is Yosemite. Wow. Yeah. She was, she actually walked me out virtually the other day and said, look at my hot tub. It, there's Yosemite park. Like there it is. And I was like, that's amazing. That's lucky. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very lucky. And I'm lucky to know her, but uh, tell us more just about you, about your family, about things you like to do. What makes you awesome? All right. Um, I'm 16. I live in the middle of California, like I said. Um, I love climbing, um, like all kinds of climbing. Um, I really enjoy kayaking. Uh, I also have played the cello for since I was five. Well, that's a lot of years. Um, I won't do the math right now. Nine years. Yeah. Wait, 11. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I have an older brother and a younger sister. Two amazing parents. What um, what's amazing about your parents? Um, they're really thoughtful and kind, um, and they've done a great job of raising me. I think that they've turned me into a good kid. At least I hope so. I think you're right, and I think that that is so wonderful that you play the cello. Like, literally, you must be really good at it. I. You know how you create playlists and, you know, on Spotify or Pandora yeah. or whatever. Um, 
I finally figured out how to create my own playlist. And I am looking all the time for things with cello in them because I've just learned I adore music with the cello in it. It's so. a really beautiful sound. I love playing it. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And it's just, uh, yeah, I could just listen to it all day what, doing everything I do. I just love, love it. So that's really fun to know about you. So what, cool. what have you done with your talent in the cello? Um, I play at like ward parties a lot, uh, talent shows and stuff. Uh, coming up this uh, winter, I'm playing at a nativity f nativity festival um, that's put on by Interfaith Ministries. Um, like everyone donates a bunch of nativities and different groups come and play, so I'll be doing that. That's excellent. Yeah, and are you like in an orchestra or anything like that? I I'm in a youth orchestra. Um, I'm not in one at my school, however. Ah, uh, that is awesome. That's awesome. My mother tried to get me to play the violin as a child, and I did not do well. Uh, I do remember telling her that I would really like to play that, and I didn't even know what it was called. I wanted to play that, and it was cello. And she goes, oh, no, you can't play that, because we, we, we would have to carry it around, and we'd have to, you know, that's not going to work. And so... So to me, but that is what I noticed as I'd hear people play that, I think that's what I want to play. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely really big, um, hard to fit. Me and my siblings all play, so we have to um, fit three of them in our car when we take them places. It's wow. Kind of struggle. So, so your amazing parents actually have to own a big vehicle big enough for their three children and three cellos. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Okay, and anything else? What else do you like to do? Um, yeah, uh, me and my brother have recently started skating. Um, nothing like crazy, just like around our neighborhood for fun. <laughs> yeah, I guess a lot of my time is taken up by climbing right now. What do you mean by climbing? You mean like I go to a gym where they have a climbing wall and I climb? Or do you literally go out on a mountain and start climbing it? Um, every weekend I have free, I try to go to a gym that we have downtown, uh, for climbing, but also every weekend that I have free, I try and find somewhere outside. Like I go to Yosemite a lot. I was down in Joshua Tree last Friday, um, anywhere I can go basically. And so really it's free climbing that you do. Yeah. Um, I'm going to learn how to aid, which is like pulling on the rope to get you up the rock so that I can do half dome soon. And that'll be a lot of fun. So tell me what a half dome is. Oh, um, half dome is like the most prominent, I guess not most prominent, but probably most uh, famous and photographed rock in Yosemite. It basically just looks like a dome and cut it in half. It's 2000 feet up. It's really cool. That, that sounds cool and high. <laughs> yeah okay i i'm just thinking i would not like that but i really that's very cool that you like that i love it yeah yeah okay and so you have a big brother a little sister 
And one of the things that you mentioned in the general's panel, I just want to go there first, just because I think this is what made him stand out to me because not very many teenage boys would say this in a million years. And I was like, you, what did he just say? And um, you talk about how just naturally you were, you noticed that you were a little more into yourself and then something shift for you, shifted for you with your sister. Can you just start right there? Yeah. Um, in middle school, I kind of, like you said, I just kept to myself a lot. Um, and I was really rude to my sister. Um, me and my brother didn't get along a lot. We were friends probably half the time. The other half we were fighting. Me and my sister were probably fighting most of our interactions. Um, and like, we just, we didn't get along at all, yeah. Um, and after starting the program, I realized this isn't, this isn't the way I should be acting. Um, and so I really made an effort to try and do everything I can to stop Satan from destroying that relationship that I was going to have for the rest of my life. Um, and that's been a big focus throughout my, um, my experience in the program is trying to, um, become better friends and a better brother to my sister. Yeah, that's so sweet. You, you, you shared something about, oh, you said it's not always easy, right? Yeah. How much younger is she than you? Uh, she's six. No, that's, that's way off. Um, she's 11 right now. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking I'm six years older than her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so she's 11 and you're 16. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so that is, that's a big span. And little sisters can be kind of annoying. And uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned something. Don't you carpool her or take her somewhere? Yeah, I pick her up from school some days um, when my mom is busy. Right. And you said you used to. It used to look like this. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of the time she'd come in and be, like, really excited and try and tell me about her day. And I would just kind of be like, okay, cool. And then, like, either ignore her or tell her, like, can you be quiet so I can listen to music? Something like that and just push her away. Um, but that's not acceptable. Um, I've tried to, and I've been successful at um, really like engaging in conversations with her and caring about her day um, and getting excited about the things she's excited about so that when I pick her up from school and take her home, we can, um, we can become friends like that and have things in common. Cause that's one of the things I'm a lot, I'm really afraid for when my brother is on his mission in like two months, I think. Um, it's just going to be us. And if we can't get along, it's going to be a long two years. Um, <laughs> so we have to, I have to be able to, um, keep a harmonious relationship with her. Wow. That's so special. And, um, maybe other people have told you this, but it is so cool, um, for, uh, girl a young girl to have a really protective loving influence that's her brother or father but when your father's expected to love you and be nice to you right <laughs> but not really your brother but when your brother is i think it can just change so much of her ability to connect with her divine identity 
because you honor that she matters. So way to go, Adam. That's so cool. Thank you. I've never heard it put that way, but I really like that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, when your struggle started and a little bit about um, what that was like for you and what maybe you'd like to share with other people who have had the same experience or maybe even younger boys. Okay. Um, I, I can't really pinpoint a definite time when it started. Um, when I was probably 11 or 12, maybe um, 10. I don't know. I just, I didn't necessarily know it was bad. I knew it wasn't like a good thing, but I didn't know it was something like I wasn't supposed to be doing. Um, and then one day my mom just came into my room and just kind of sat on the bed, uh, like as I was going to bed. And she just said like, is there anything you want to tell me? Um, and I was kind of taken back because like I didn't, I didn't really know where she was coming from. And then I just had this impression, like, you need to tell her. Um, and so I did. And then she kind of, like, explained to me that it was wrong and that I should stop doing that. Um, and after after a while, when it wasn't so easy, um, I went to, I think it was like a church therapist. I don't know exactly what it was um, for a, a few months. And I had very little success with that. And so my parents were trying to find something else for me to do. Um, and at the time it wasn't, it wasn't something I necessarily wanted to do. Like I knew I needed to stop it, but like, of course, like all addicts, I thought I could do it by myself. That wasn't something I was going to tell them because I realized that it sounds like an addict. But like in my head, I was kind of thinking, um, I can like, okay, I'll go to like whatever they want me to, but I can just kind of breeze my way through and do it on my own. Um, and then they found Sons of Helaman and they talked to me about that. And I said like, yeah, I'll try it out. Um, like again, not very interested, just kind of planning to go and sit through the whole thing. Um, but afterwards I just remember feeling this intense, like happiness afterwards. I couldn't stop smiling. Um, like all the guys there were really friendly and they all seemed like guys that I wanted to be. Um, so I started going more and realizing like I can be as happy as them um and that i can like i can give others the joy that they can give um so yeah it, it didn't it wasn't easy um i graduated eventually after a few years um and then i stopped going to group i still i was still sort of in the mindset of like once i get done i will that'll be like i can move on to the next stage of my life um so i stopped going to group um and i didn't lose a battle for for a while i made it to 21 weeks and then um i started to lose some battles but i told myself like i can fix it and then after a few months i realized like it's not going to stop so i started going back to group um and it wasn't easy again um it took me another few years to get out of that cycle again um and but I had the right mindset this time. I knew that it was going to take my active involvement. And so I think Satan was trying even harder to stop me from beating him this time. Um, so like I had to put in a lot of work and do a lot of flagpoles in a tank group regularly, which was something that wasn't always easy. 
Um, but now I'm at 25 weeks and it's been well worth it. Wow, that's excellent. And so you started Sons of Human when you were like 14. Yeah, I think I started when I was 12. Okay, okay. So when you became a general the first time, you didn't really stay in group. You just thought, okay, I'm good. See you guys. And, yeah. Okay. Excellent. So what, how old were you when you started group again? Um, I think it's been about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, it's so cool to notice the difference between I'm going because my parents want me to go. Or because, yeah, people that are smarter than me, they want, they want me to be okay, so I'm just going to go. Um, and while you're there, you notice that you could be successful and reach general status. Um, but the second time around, I'm sure you were older, had a little more maturity. Um, but still, the difference between just going because there's enough amazing things in the program, Sons of Healing program, that you could, with some effort, reach a general just because there's a lot of good information there that really helps you with a lot of accountability and training. But um, this, when you really apply it and it becomes part of, like, I'm doing this. Yeah. My first time around, I, um, you have to have um four weeks of manpower uh to graduate and so i think the only manpower i did was those four weeks um and that was it and so i wasn't really praying um very much i wasn't reading my scriptures i especially wasn't ministering at that point either um and then the second time around i realized like oh what they've been saying all all along is true like manpower actually matters um so i started doing that and that's definitely the key. Okay, so you thought you noticed manpower is a key to um, what? What? What was? The, what made such um, a difference about it? I think it's it's different in a lot of ways um, because again, you have to have the right mindset about it. You can't just say like, okay, my goal is to read a chapter from the Book of Mormon, so I'm gonna skim through, and then like say a little prayer and then write a few sentences in my journal. Um, like you have to actually be looking through the scriptures, trying to find ways to apply it to your life, like how the stripling warriors were able to overcome their struggles and how I can overcome mine. Um, you have to have the right mindset about it. And then doing that, um, it's, you're literally putting on the spirit, like the armor of God. You are so much more protected. Like Satan tempts you less. And when he does, um, you're far more able to overcome it because you have, like, you're more willing to do flagpoles um, rather than if you, like, hadn't been doing any manpower, you kind of just let him take you. But if you've been putting in all this work, you're not going to go down that easy. Yeah. Tell us, what what's a flagpole? If nobody knows, someone thinks, what is he talking about, a flagpole? Tell us what that is. Okay. Yeah. Um, a flagpole is kind of the place you go, like, as soon as you notice you're getting tempted, you run to that place. So, I mean, it could be something like your flagpole or your mailbox, or it could be just dropping down wherever you are and doing like 50 push-ups, um, either to get you physically or mentally out of, um, where you're going to lose a battle. 
Okay, so it's, a, it's something active and on purpose that you do. And why do they call it a flagpole? Sort of like in the army, like if you are running a drill, you're, you might run your flagpole. Okay. Yeah. All right, excellent. And, um, you know, it reminds me too of like uh, in elementary school, whenever the, the alarm goes off, I remember my <laughs> elementary school, it was everybody goes to the flagpole. <laughs> like, yeah. Right? So we're trying yeah. to... Alarm sounds, you know exactly where to go and what to do. Right. Sounds. So good. All right. And so what exactly was a flagpole doing for you? Um, yeah. So there's two ways, at least the way I see it, there's two ways to try and win a battle. Um, there's what my clinician calls white knuckling it. Um, like you just kind of sit there and mentally think like, no, no, like I'm, I will not lose. Um, but we don't realize is that Satan has had thousands of years of experience of getting people to say yes. And so if you just try and sit there and beat him in a one-on-one -on -one battle, you're not going to win. But if you go, um, and like actively get yourself out of that situation. There's nothing he can do to tempt you anymore. That's awesome. So it's like, it's totally that Joseph Smith quote about Satan has no power over you, but that that you give him. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned that your clinician talked about white knuckling it. I know that your clinician is Ben. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about Ben and some of the things that you've noticed about his group. Yeah, so I actually, um, the clinician that used white knuckling, it was my first one, but Ben is a really great guy. He's really real with everyone and he becomes their friend. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He tells you that the battle's gonna be hard and that it's gonna be really hard to win and you're gonna have to do a lot of effort to get through it, but that's exactly what I needed telling me that it's going to be hard, but you can do it because everything works out in the end. Because if I had that mindset, I would have just sat back and expected it to work out. Mm -hmm. um, but through that, I was able to realize um, I needed to put in effort. Yeah, Ben's a great guy. And it's special that um, people that are in his group say, you know, he's my friend. Yeah. It's cool. It's really easy to just get in group and relax rather than being like, Oh no, I'm in group again. Like we're going to talk about things that make me uncomfortable and it's going to be hard to get through. I was really able to go and just enjoy myself there. What kinds of things in group would be uncomfortable? Is it that hard thing that's uncomfortable? I mean, the very aspect for a lot of people, especially me at the beginning was uncomfortable. You're talking about, um, not viewing pornography or masturbating and to a lot of kids just saying those words makes them uncomfortable that's actually something Ben tries to get out of our system he says he says them frequently just so you you're not scared of it yeah um but also we do something called sparring which I used to hate um basically like either the, clini the clinician or like another guy in group pretends to be Satan and kind of asks you like why are you fighting why don't you just give up and they like try and mess with you and get you angry or like not angry, but like make you feel that 
uh, what we call manpower, like righteous indignation against Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to not like that because when I didn't have strong reasons, I'd just kind of be crushed under the weight of like the force of whoever was playing Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know in group, the reason you would spar and someone would be like playing the devil's advocate um, is because when you're like, when you're in the right in the battle, it's good to practice what you'll say or what you'll do or what you'll think rather than just kind of go with how you feel. Exactly. Yeah. Something Ben stresses a lot. Um, you don't want to spar with Satan too much. Cause like I said, he's, he will win every time if you try and beat him head to head. It's not bad to like say why you're fighting and like get that righteous indignation, but then you need to leave. Like what we do in our group, um, is go and do a flagpole. Um, I, I'll just go do push-ups um, and feel a uh, warrior chemistry because, like Ben stresses, you want to like shoot him from afar like a sniper instead of trying to beat him um, hand-to-hand. Definitely. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. My son used to say, um, um, I know how to take Satan out at 300 something like 300 yards at the slightest movement he makes from 300 yards away at the slightest movement he makes in my direction or something like that and i just thought you know how that works you get him in your crosshairs and as soon as he twitches you blow his head off (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of a morbid way of looking at it but that's what we need to do you can't mess with him yeah that's excellent so it's just like getting this heightened level of sensitivity or discernment and and what it's like to know that's not me being you know really promiscuous or deviant it's the adversary tempting me using my uh my age my my um lack of experience or the things that tempt me to take me out yeah that was something i learned to notice um we call it like the levels of your brain chemistry. Like level one is like, you're kind of feeling off. Level two is you're feeling like negative emotions. Uh, Level three is what we call the dude moment. Like when Satan is realized like, all right, he's feeling off enough, like angry enough or depressed enough that I can get him to say, Hey dude, you should do this. And he'll listen. And then stage four, um, and then like stage four and five or when you're starting to do that stage four is the stupid conversation um you're kind of like no and then he says yes and then you say no and that's what you want to avoid by doing a flagpole um and then past stage five you've already given up so um a lot of people don't realize that they're being tempted until stage three and then Satan comes out of nowhere and says hey you should mess up and you're like wait where'd that come from um and it kind of takes you by surprise at first but over like especially from doing your uh, manpower because that gets you in the right state of mind. It gets you to level zero, like every time you do it, then once you start kind of being at a level one or two, like for me, I realized I'm not treating my sister well right now. Something's not right. Or like my mom just asked me to load the dishes and I said, no, something's not right. Um, like if you're not being like a child of God, you're not at a level zero. Wow. Um, And so really you're trying to stay at a place 
like when you say take him out at a sniper's distance, you're noticing before a level three when he's messing with you, like just when you're feeling a little off or when your feelings are like kind of like I'm, I'm annoyed, I'm kind of bugged, I'm mistreating people, but you notice you notice you so much more and you identify Satan is messing with me. I'm that's a twitch, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Wow. Okay. That's so good. All right. And you mentioned something to me that was just really cool. And it had to do with your ability to, um, to just claim or understand or recognize, I know how to find joy. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, like I said earlier, um, going to group at first wasn't a comfortable thing for me to do. Um, even like later on after I'd been going for like a year and a half, sometimes Satan would get at me and say like, you don't, like, don't want to go to group today. You're going to get home like half an hour late. So it's not worth missing half an hour. You just don't go. And sometimes I'd listen to him because I didn't necessarily want to go and have to experience that uncomfort. Um, but every time I went, I just left feeling joy. And I like sometimes just couldn't stop smiling for hours afterwards um, because I would just feel the love that everyone in there had for me and for each other and for themselves. And that was something that I wanted to have. Um, I used to struggle a lot with being happy. I wouldn't necessarily say it was like depression. I just didn't enjoy life. Um, and so seeing other people be so happy and being able to say in group, like I'm so awesome because of this. Um, I wanted that. And through um, getting closer to the savior and everyone in group, I've been able to get that joy. Yeah. Wow. That's, that is such an asset in life to just know that connection like that is really something that opens us up to joy, but connection in a meaningful way. Exactly. Yeah. Satan um, through these addictions is trying to isolate us and get us away from everything. Um, but we want just the opposite. Yeah. So good. And it, and it is kind of weird how much we think being isolated is exactly what we want when we are in that kind of, oh, I'm bored. I'm kind of feeling lazy, those kind of lonely feelings, or I'm just a little too hyper-focused on screens and how that affects us and our desire to, to connect with other people. It's weird how we can be so easily convinced that we want to isolate. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I used to learn to realize that too. And one of my main flagpoles I used to do was to go talk to my sister or my mom um, and just interact with them. Wow. Um, so like do the exact opposite of what Satan was trying to get me to do. So you actually took the the inclination you were having to do something that was isolating as a hint from the adversary. 
like, oh, thanks for the hint. I think I'll go talk to my mom or my sister now. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Well, um, tell me, why is it that you would want to do this podcast interview? What is it that's made you think, yeah, I would like to do that? What were you hoping other people would notice or hear that you would have loved to know or hear when you were in a tough place? Yeah, um, I mean, I've mentioned a lot, like seeing the guys in group um, and having their inspiration is what kept me coming back. Um, I, I always try to be a guy who can be friendly to the others and become friends with them. Um, I might not, not always do the best job of it, but I do try. Um, and like anyone listening, graduating twice is not twice the joy. Um, so like, I, I hope that I can be able to help people realize, um, manpower is important and staying on track after you graduate is so important because it's, it's going to be the rest of your life. You can't make it without going to group consistently. Um, it's not going to be good. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about, because I know manpower, it stands for six things. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So um, it's six goals that you do every day. So ministering, um, like doing a good, like my ministering goal was to, like do an act of service towards a woman um if i could my mom or my sister um action um or accountability um it could go either way i tr i tried to do both like uh, like doing um push-ups as a flagpole or just like doing push-ups before i go to bed and then accountability like checking into my parents i i check in with them every night and i also check into my group uh group chat um, and then your no goal, which is obviously no, um, no acting out and engaging in negative behaviors. Um, and you can also use that as just like self-improvement. Like, um, I, I did like no taking my phone in the bathroom, um, because that was a place where I'd be tempted a lot. And by, by erasing that, it helped me immensely. Then you have your power goals, which is praying, writing, and reading. Um, I would, uh, pray for five minutes twice a day. Um, right. Um, right now, um, I'm doing a letter to my future spouse, um, uh, every night. And I like, um, in the past I've done things like gratitude lists or like something that really helped was a thought, like write down all the thoughts I could remember that I've had throughout the day and then assigning like where they came from, if they came from myself or from God or from Satan. And then being able to recognize those thoughts and try to not have them again. Um, then reading, I would read, I would read a um, chapter from the Book of Mormon and then like from an inspired book. Okay. Like a conference talk or something like that. Okay. And then you mentioned... You mentioned that having, um, like you said, becoming a general twice isn't double the joy. Like you really want to know that I need, I want to know how to beat this over the long term. Like moving forward, what do you think is the key to winning as you move forward? 
Yeah, um, like 21 weeks in the span of a lifetime isn't very long. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it seemed like I had gone a long ways without losing. But like when I think about it, it it's not. Um, so like if I can't go more than 21 weeks at a time without losing, um, I really haven't graduated at that point. Um, I think the lifetime goal for me is to obviously defeat Satan in my own personal battles, but then also when I have a family to keep Satan out of our interactions as a family and keep a Christ-centered home and be able to raise my children in the gospel, make sure that they understand Satan isn't to be trifled with. Well, you know, it's inspiring to me something about the young men that become generals in the Sons of Healing program. I always think, well, first of all, any young man that shows up, um, I think everybody has this little kind of inkling that, I don't really need to go there because that's like a group for addicts and addicts look weird. They're weird. You know what I mean? Like they're going to be kind of different or dark or scary or like, they're not going to be like me. But I think that first of all, it's just so incredible to notice that just the most noble, good, good young men are in this program. Yeah, everyone I've met in group has been amazing. Um, they're all going to be great husbands someday. Um, I mean, like, nobody's, like, a weird person. Yep. If, like, everyone's just who they are, and they're amazing that way. Yeah, it's so cool to notice, because um, what I was going to say, in addition to that, was it's like you are recognizing well i knew before i came to the planet from my training in the pre-existence that i was a son of god and that some of my gifts as a son of god was to do exactly what the family proclamation says right which is to preside provide and protect like that's really a crucial thing for me as a man but that's one thing i've noticed with the young men who graduate from sons of Helaman is they really do kind of learn, well, that's what that looks like to preside or to provide, to protect. Like, I know what that looks like because I've kind of been in this man training, <laughs> right? Yeah, I forgot to mention that's another one of the reading goals that we have. Um, I, um, we call like someone in our group, um, recently I've been doing it with my brother. Um, and read the proclamation to the world aloud every day. Um, and it's really amazing to just see like what we can accomplish, what we are destined to do. Um, yeah. Wow, that's cool. So your group, your clinician says, everybody contact somebody. Yeah. Read the proclamation out loud. Every day. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Very cool. How has how has your involvement in Sons of Healing, or just your healing and your hope and the joy, how has it affected your relationship with people like friends or people at church or at school? How has it affected your life in general? Um, I think the aspect of applying myself and giving effort can apply to anything in your life, to school, to playing cello. Um, to rock climbing, um, anything you want to be good at, you have to apply yourself to. Um, 
and that speaks for itself. Um, and it, it's helped me not to judge people as much as I used to. Um, like you mentioned, like kind of going to group the first couple of times you think people are going to be weird. Um, but everyone's just like you. Um, and so being able to, it, I think it's made me a lot more compassionate and empathetic to be able to see people and realize that they have their own problems, but are still amazing people. Definitely. Wow. That's so awesome. Well, Adam, um, is there anything that you'd like to bring up in closing before I ask you, why are you fighting? Is there anything that comes to your mind that you'd like to bring up to another young man who maybe is stuck or parents or bishops? It's like Ben tells us all the time. It's hard and you're not going to want to do it a lot. Um, but it is so worth it in the end. Where I am now, I would choose at any given moment over where I was. I'm so much happier. I have my family as close friends and not people I have to live with. It, it's rounded me out in every aspect of my life and made me appreciate life so much more. Well, tell me, why do you fight? <laughs> you kind of spoiled it. Um, but yeah, every day, um, I uh, almost every day I have the opportunity to pick up my sister from school um, and she gets to tell me about her day and I love just sitting there and listening and seeing her so happy about what she's able to do at school um, and I love being able to make her that happy and playing games with her and I know that um, the way I used to treat her was terrible and if I treat my future spouse or my future children like that they're not going to want to live with me at all. Um, I can't verbally abuse my future spouse or my kids. That's not how families work. I need to respect them and treat them as the sons and daughters of God that they are. Um, I'm fighting because I hate the way the Satan makes me feel. Um, he just makes me angry all the time and judge other people and think that life isn't worth it. But life is worth everything because after this life, we can go to live with our father in heaven again, and we can become like him, like the proclamation says. Um, and we'll be able to live with those families that we have grown so close to on earth. And I, more than anything in the world, want that for myself. That's excellent. Adam, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Yeah, this is going to be such a great resource for so many people. Yeah, thank you for letting me share my experience. You're welcome.